Well, good morning, everyone. In your Bibles this morning, if you brought a Bible, we're going to be looking at the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. If not, these words will appear on the screen here shortly as well. Colossians chapter 1. Paul says in the book of Timothy, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Never has there been such a powerful statement of truth. The statement does not focus on the event of the cross but on the consequences of the cross, of what the cross accomplished, from what actually happened on the cross to what was achieved by it. Why did God in Christ take our place and bear our sin? Why was he made our substitute? Having a wardrobe malfunction. I think Pastor Tom's got bigger ears than me. (laughs) Don't tell him I said that. What did he accomplish with this self-sacrifice? It would be hard to exaggerate the magnitude and significance of the cross of Jesus Christ. Truly, when Christ died on the cross and raised from the dead, a new day dawned. A new age began. The blessings of such a great salvation are so richly diverse that they cannot easily be packaged or neatly described. Instead, several pictures are needed to portray these blessings. Just as a church is presented through the metaphors of the bride, the temple, the sheep of his pasture. So in the same way, this idea of salvation has many vivid images with it. That of rescue, redemption, reconciliation. And it's precisely those three things that I want to speak to you about today. These images of rescue, redemption, and reconciliation there is certainly a depth and a breadth of what God has done on our behalf. And it is my prayer that we will see the beauty of that today as I speak. So let's read this passage together. Colossians 1, starting at verse 13. And then we'll pray and get started. For he rescued us. From the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him things were created both in the heavens and on the earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil, de- in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through the cross in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Do we have one more? Indeed, if you continue in faith, firmly established and steadfast, do not move away from the hope of the gospel you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we want to say thank you for the things that you have done on our behalf. Lord, we want to say thank you for going to the cross and dying in our place, substituting for us, taking that which was ours, that sin, and giving us your righteousness. Lord, we say thank you for that. And we say thank you for the things that you're going to speak to us today out of your word. Lord, we pray it so in the mighty name of Jesus. We pray that you would speak powerfully, Lord, that you would sweep away every obstacle that is in the way. And Lord, that you would show us yourself this day that we might worship and serve you afresh. So, Lord, we're praying it so for us. We're praying it for those around us. Lord, have your way this day, and we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. The first image is this, the image of being rescued. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Number one, he has rescued us. This idea of rescue carries with it the idea of deliverance. To deliver from danger or disaster or death. It says of we, the Gentiles, that we were without hope and without God in the world. That we were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants and promises. That we were away from God and without hope in the world. We were in need of rescue. As I think through the New Testament examples of those that were rescued, I think of just a couple right offhand. I think of the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8, who was brought before Jesus when Jesus was in the temple. And a large group of perhaps religious leaders of those, of those days, brought the woman and drug her before Jesus, trying to trap Jesus in uh, what he would say. And they said this woman was caught in adultery in the very act of adultery. Our law tells us that such a one should be stoned to death. Jesus, what do you say? Now, I don't know if you have ever faced death before in a physical level. The closest I ever came was I was uh, up north of here playing uh, paintball. (laughs) 
And this was in my younger days where I had a little bit more energy and, and liked pain. And, uh, and we were up there with a group of maybe a dozen guys from church. And it was team against team, six against six. And I remember this one big field that we were on. And one team started way at the other end. You couldn't even see the other team. And the other team was way at the other end. And then someone blew a horn or something of that sort. And me and this other fellow, we decided that we were going to set the perimeter far ahead. So as soon as, the, as soon as the whistle was blown, we just took off running towards the enemy. And as soon as we heard them, we ducked down in the tall grass. Now this grass was probably about four feet high or so. I was behind a tree. And my buddy was probably about 10 feet from me. And we're just listening. We can hear him coming, coming up on us. We can hear him coming up on us. And all of a sudden I hear poop, poop. And by my, my friend that was with me, my partner, he says, I'm hit, I'm hit, I'm hit. You always say you're hit so you don't get shot anymore. <laughs> I'm hit, I'm hit, I'm hit. And this guy's like 10 feet from me. And I can't see anybody around me. And I hunker down by that tree and I think I'm next. And as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I mean, the adrenaline's pumping. I'm thinking, this is what it's like. This is what it's like when someone is hunting you down, when someone's after you. And I'm just hunkered down by the tree and I'm thinking, I'm going to die. Certainly I'm going to die. <laughs> and I look up over the top of the grass. And as I see the top of the grass, I can see the grass moving. And it's coming closer to me. And I'm kind of watching it, but I'm not peeking up too high so I can be seen. And I'm watching it, and I could see someone's crawling through the grass up towards me. And as soon as they came through the grass, I went, pop, pop. Got them right here looking at me. There was another time when I was canoeing up in the Boundary Waters canoe area. And uh, we got there late in the afternoon, and we were going out onto Lake Saginaga, one of the biggest lakes there in the Boundary Waters area. And it was always our goal when we got to the Boundary Waters that we'd load up our canoe and we'd cut out across Lake Saginaga and around American Point and head down around American Point on the American side. We got there late, as I said. It was a windy day and, and we thought maybe we're not going to make it across uh, Saginaga today. And so we came out of this canal after we had loaded up, our, loaded up our canoe. We came out of this canal and we could see that there were white caps out on, the, out on the lake. But you know how it is when you're young and full of vinegar and that sort of thing. We decided we're just going to go for it. We're just going to go for it. So me and my friend who weighed about 250 pounds and myself who weighed about 175, well, maybe 185 200 at the most. <laughs> and my son, who was probably 60 pounds in the middle, plus both our packs and a food bag in this canoe. We were already low in the water, but we decided, yeah, let's go. Let's go across. So we had across. With every breaking wave, water would come into the boat, into the canoe. And we're heading across. Now we're in the middle of this huge lake. Who knows how deep this lake is? And as we're going across, I'm thinking of all the sunken canoes in this lake. <clears throat> I'm thinking how many people have lost their lives, perished in this lake. And so eventually it becomes obvious that we're going to that we're gonna have to bail water. And so 
I say to my son, son, do you see any, anything to bail water with? And he's facing ahead. I'm in the back. He's facing ahead. And he turns around to look at me. And when he turns, his weight shifts. And the canoe tips a little bit this way. And the water rushes in the canoe. There is almost as much water in the canoe as there is outside the canoe. I thought certainly we were going to die. We didn't make it to the American point, but we did make it to the nearest island. And as we're, make, as we're making our way to the island, the boat is sinking. We're holding on to the side of the boat, and we're actually swimming alongside the boat to get to the, to get to the island. I don't think we can really understand this idea of rescue unless we've been in a similar place. Unless we've been in a place where we've needed to be rescued, that we have been in danger of disaster or death. Paul says here that, that to the Colossians that we have been rescued, or if you prefer this word, that we have been saved. We've been rescued from, from that which was disastrous. Sandy and I watched this movie some time ago she hated, hated it. She thought it was very dull. I thought it was very, very interesting. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's called All is Lost. Anybody seen it? That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> this movie was produced probably and directed, I'm almost sure, and starred Robert Redford. And it's a movie where he is sailing across the Indian Ocean. Uh, what is it? From Africa to India. He's sailing across the Indian Ocean solo in a sailboat. And he's sleeping in the middle of the night. This movie has, has almost zero dialogue. Once he calls out a SOS signal and he talks during that time. Otherwise, there's zero dialogue and zero music. But I found that so compelling I mean, I didn't want to take my eyes off the screen. There were no verbal cues and no musical cues. And so I'm just, I'm just focused on the screen. What is going to happen to this poor guy next? And in the Indian Ocean, during the night, his boat accidentally runs into a container that was dropped off a, a container ship, fell, fell off a container ship. And his, bar, his boat runs into it, and he's got a big hole broken in the side of his boat. And from there, he calls out an SOS signal. His boat is, is starting, to, starting to sink. And over the course of time, he patches it up. And then uh, uh, something else happens to the boat, and it begins to sink. Pretty soon, he ends up on a life raft. So he's on a life raft uh, uh, in the Indian, Indian Ocean, trying to survive. And he's trying to get into the shipping lane so he could see the, see the shippy, ships coming by. So maybe, perhaps, he could get rescued. And he saw ship after ship go by, and he couldn't quite get to the ship. Finally, in a latch, last-ditch effort, he lights a fire inside his raft to get, the, to get the ship to respond. And so he starts this fire, and he's jumping up and down, and he's waving. Well, you know what happens? The raft catches on fire. And this is probably after an hour and a half movie of no music, no dialogue. And it is just despairing. It is just, it is just despairing. You are just, you are just right there with him. 
And as the wrath begins to sink, you can see that he's just given up. He's just given up. He realizes this is, this is death. And he gives up. Uh, he gets into the water. He's treading water for a little bit. And then he just gives up and he begins to sink down in the water. And he's sinking down in the water. And all of a sudden, a hand comes to the top of the water. Grabs down, grabs his hand, and grabs him out of the water. And that's the end of the movie. I know you're searching for that on your phone right now. You're going you're gonna to watch that when you get home. I think it's such a good picture of us being rescued of us being rescued from certain disaster, certain danger, certain death. That Jesus came looking for us. That we weren't looking for him, but he came looking for us to rescue us. But let's read on a little farther. It says here that he rescued us from the domain of darkness, or if you will, the kingdom of darkness. This kingdom is dominated by darkness. The God of this world has blinded the eyes of unbelievers. They live in darkness. They can't see clearly. There's not enough light that's dominated by sin, dominated by death, dominated by wrath. The Bible says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Certainly wrath is coming to the world. But God has saved us from it. He has rescued us from the wrath to come, the Bible says. But how many of you know that there is a there's a big difference between getting rescued in a leaky old fishing boat and getting rescued uh, on the Royal Caribbean oasis of the seas. <laughs> when Jesus rescued us, it wasn't an old fishing boat. He rescued us and transferred us, the Bible says here in verse 13, he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he transferred us to that dominion of light. Or as it says here, uh, he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in which we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This kingdom, unlike the kingdom of darkness, is full of blessing. Jesus said that I've come that they might have life and that it might have that abundant life, that overflowing life, more than they need of life. The Bible says that he rescued us from darkness, transferred us to his marvelous light. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you might declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, he was on a rescue mission. He was on a rescue mission to save people from darkness and to transfer them to the kingdom of his beloved son. This is a kingdom of blessing. It is a kingdom of freedom. 
Freedom from the power of sin. At one time, we were in bondage to sin, but when Christ came and delivered us, we are set free from the bondage of sin. Where before we couldn't help but sin, now we are set free from that bondage. It's freedom from sin, freedom from the devastation of death. The Bible says that we walk in newness of life, that we are now alive to God, that we are alive from the dead, that we have been raised up with him. Death no longer is master over us. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Freedom from sin and freedom from death and freedom from the coming wrath. This is the kingdom that he's rescued us to. Rescued us from darkness, but rescued us to his kingdom, that kingdom of his beloved son. Peter, preaching on the day of Pentecost, said, and it shall be that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be rescued. Everyone that calls on his name will be rescued. Pastor Dave said, go easy, Greg. You have three services to preach today. When my son Dave was small, he was in the kitchen with my wife Sandy, and then he was playing, and I think he was playing with pots and pans or something like that in the kitchen. Our, our kids always had a favorite cupboard in the kitchen that the pots and pans were in, and they would dig them, cast them all out across the floor. Funny, when my kids were kids, I thought it was a big mess. Now that I have grandkids, I think, oh, isn't that precious? Isn't that precious? Oh, it's so precious. Their little hands touched those dishes. And Sandy got distracted with something, and all of a sudden she heard these words. Help. 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 And what had happened, our son Dave, somehow in playing uh, with these pots and pans, had leaned back on one of the uh, on one of the cupboards, and in leaning back, his hair got caught in the cupboard, and he was leaning on it, and he couldn't get away. This hair was in the in the cupboard, and he was just he was just standing there saying, "Help." Help. It's funny, guys, but it speaks so much of our dilemma. It speaks so much of our dilemma. Jesus, the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And really, that's all it is. That's all it is. By calling on him, it, it, it uh, signifies a trust within a belief within that he can help. So, so our calling unto him is sometimes all that is necessary to say, to say, Lord, save me. Save me from my sin. Save me from certain death. Save me from disaster. Save me from danger. One last story of rescue before we go on to the next word. Many years ago, 
Uh, Sandy and I were just getting started in ministry. The reason I'm chuckling is because I was a junior in college at Bible college, studying to be a pastor. And this position opened up in this church that actually Sandy and I were attending. And they said, we'd love to have you come on staff. And uh, of course, it's going to be part-time because you're at, you're at school. Uh, but all we can pay you is $85 a week. Well, you know what we said? Hallelujah! $85 a week, we'd do it for free. And so we took on this, this staff position. We lived probably 15 miles away. Now, in those days, 15 miles seemed like a long ways. Now I live on the west side of town and I drive here every day. That doesn't seem like a, that doesn't seem like a long ways. But in those days, that seemed like a really long ways. And Sandy and I really felt like the Lord wanted us in the town we were ministering in. We were in a nearby town and wanted us in the town that we were ministering in. So we thought it'd be really cool to live in the projects. And so we'd been praying about this and, and thinking about it and and we made an uh, application. I forget exactly what it was, but you had to go through some sort of process. And then we got the call. Hey, we have, a, we have an apartment open for you if you'd like to, if you'd like to move in, in to, uh, to the, the government housing. And I thought, oh boy. I thought it's really going to happen. Now, the place we lived in was an awesome place. It was, we were the first tenants there. It was, a, it was a townhouse that we were renting front and back door, two stories, wall-to-wall carpeting, big, huge kitchen, uh, three-bedroom. Uh, it was just, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful place. And we went and we looked at this place we'd been living in, the projects, tile floors, wall-to-wall, white uh, paint, and incidentally, you couldn't paint and a rubber uh, mop board on the, on, the, on the bottom of the um, uh, walls. And just old, old uh, uh, cabinets in the kitchen. I mean, this place was as dingy, perhaps, as you could imagine. And I said to Sandy, I said, I don't know if this is really the Lord's will. I'm kind of liking where we, where we are. And she said, well, we have to make a choice. We have to decide which we're going to do. And so I'm talking around the phone. I'm in my office at the church. I'm talking around the phone. I said, "Hun, I don't want to do it. And she said, okay, we won't then. And we hung up the phone. As soon as I hung up the phone, I realized I was disobeying God. As soon as I hung up the phone. And I got the phone back and, and, I, and I called her. And I said, "Hun, um, notice the kind of phone I'm using? This is old style. I said, uh, hon, I said, I really feel like the Lord wants us to move. She goes, you know what? I do too. And so we moved into these projects. And of course, everything that you can think imagines in a project happened in this project. And, uh, you know, there's uh, Sandy and I at that age, it probably wouldn't be the case now, but at that age was, was kind of entertained by all the things that were going on. Going on. I remember waking up many times during the night with a neighbor coming home drunk and kicking on the door of his, of his house. His wife wouldn't let him in. And we'd hear her yelling at him and, and uh, you know, he'd be yelling and kicking at the door and stuff and saying that, by, oh, oh, it's, I forget his name now. Oh, 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 he's back and he's drunk. And we'd get up and we'd look out the window. Oh, look what's going on. You know what's going on. And of course, our friends had all kinds of friends that we didn't want them to have. And there was always all sorts of commotion out on the parking lot, behind the bill. I mean, it was just, 
It was just a crazy place. But next door lived a mom and her young teenage girl. And Sandy got kind of close to them. And when the young teenage girl got pregnant, Sandy was there and and knew about it. And over the course of time, the young girl decided with her mom, decided, you know, it'd just be better if, if I got an abortion and, you know, ended this. This is just too much to consider right now. And, and uh, I'm thinking we're just, we're just going to get an abortion. Well, of course, this traumatized Sandy. I mean, she's... Her heart's so tender and she loves children so much. She just... She was just beside herself, thinking that this little child was going to be aborted. And so on the day that she was to leave for the abortion, Sandy went down to the local pregnancy help place. And she got a little model of this teenager's baby at the stage that it was at. So she got this little tiny model that fit in the palm of her hand. And while she's walking out of the car, Sandy went out there and she said, she said, here, I got something for you. And she held out her hand and she put it in the palm of her hand. She said, this is what your baby looks like. And that girl took that and she put it in her hand and she got inside the car with her mom and they went to the, to the clinic to get an abortion. It was much later before we heard that she had decided to keep that baby. And then it was probably about, we had moved away from there and moved to a a nicer place. Uh, We had moved away from there and it was about four years later that Sandy saw this grandma now in the store with this young child that's now about four years old. And the grandma goes, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Our grandson is such a blessing to us. We just can't, we just could never think of not having him around. Now, I don't know why God had us move into those projects. But I think that would be a good reason if that was the only reason. I was thinking this morning as I was thinking of this child... He would have to be about 35 years old now. He probably has no idea who stood in the gap for him. He probably has no idea who helped rescue him from certain disaster, certain danger, certain death. And as I was thinking about that this morning, I began to pray for him. Of course, we've totally lost track. That day in the store was the last time Sandy had seen that boy. But I just want him to come to know the Lord. I just want him to fall in love with the Lord. I want him to realize that not only was he rescued from physical death, but Jesus came to rescue him from the dominion of darkness. That he came to set him free from death, to pour out a blessing upon his life, to bring him to the kingdom of our beloved son. Guys, that is rescue. That is what Jesus has done for us. 
What God has done for us in Christ, coming and rescuing us from the dominion of darkness. There's the first one, rescue. Here's the second one. Redemption. Redemption. It goes on to say here in verse 13 that he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This idea of redemption at its heart is the act of making something better or more acceptable. One person has said it is taking something of relatively small value and making it something into great value. I remember back in the day when I was a young boy, our drawers at home in the kitchen were filled with SNH green stamps. Does anybody remember SNH green stamps? Oh, you guys are old. SNH green stamps, and they were over. I remember this one drawer next to the refrigerator. It was just always overflowing. You'd open the drawer looking for something, and when you closed it, you couldn't get it closed because there's SNH green stamps coming out. Well, for those of you that are younger and don't know what SNH green stamps are, when you go to the grocery store and other places, you would get these stamps that you could redeem later for something of value. And so you'd get these stamps of relatively no value. And then once you had so many stamps, you put them in these little books, you know, you'd plaster them in these books and you'd get many books and, you know, that sort of thing. And then you'd take these books in and you could redeem them for something of greater value. Now, when the Bible talks about redemption, it's talking about something very similar in this sense. That God has taken us, that which is something perhaps of small value and making it something of great value. Taking something and making it better or more acceptable. It's like what Jeremiah says of the potter in Jeremiah 18, one through six, where the potter is working the clay on the potting wheel. And then at one point, the, the clay is, is um, 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 what's the right word here? It's messy. I probably could have came up with something better, but not as quickly. Not as quickly. So something happens to the clay. I forget the word that the Bible uses there. Something happens to the clay. And so he crunches it all down and he begins to make it again. And he makes it into something even more beautiful. And God says, God says in that verse, he says, this is what I'm going to do with Israel. That I'm going to remake Israel. And I'm going to make her into something much more beautiful. And in that way, that is the redemption of Israel. For us, it is shown in salvation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. The Bible says that you are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It is that idea that he has redeemed us. He has taken something of relatively small value and making it into something of great value. That there is a redemption of our lives, a redemption of our souls. 
Titus 3.5 says he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit of God comes into our life, that begins to do that work of redemption. It begins to do that work of renewing, to transform us into the image, the measure, and the stature of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the work of the Spirit, to take something very natural and very fleshly and make it something supernatural and spiritual. It is taking something, again, of relatively small value and making something of great value out of it. Here are the effects of redemption. Let me read these two sets of verses to you. First from Ephesians 2, 1 through 6. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the uh, prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Amen and raised up with him and seated with him in heavenly places. We were once not a people, but now we've become the people of God. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, or idolaters, or adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, no. Uh, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. We were wayward. We were far away from him, perhaps running in the other direction. God came and rescued us and not only rescued us, taking us from from the domain of darkness to the domain of his beloved son, but he He also redeemed us. He shaped us. He molded us. He's making us into that image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what Jesus did on the cross. It is something powerful. We see one of the great examples of redemption in the life of Paul. The scriptures show that Paul was at times, was at a time, a zealous persecutor of the church. It says that he persecuted the saints unto death, that he was hostile, and that he persecuted the church beyond measure, even destroying the faith of some. We have heard many redemption stories in our congregation. This is a story that was read about um, three weeks ago. I wish I had time to read it to you. It's a story of a young lady coming to Christ. She was born in a teenage relationship. Her mom and dad, as I remember it, were not married. 
Uh, her dad was 17. Her mom was a similar age, although I forget what age her mom was exactly. And she just lived just a hard, hard life. She was involved with a number of different guys after that. They abused her, took advantage of her, lied to her. They were, they were drug addicts and abusers. And, and because of that, her life got very, very hard. And then one day, God revealed himself to her. That he met her, that he reached out to her, that he rescued her from where she was. And she says in this testimony, she says, my life will never be the same. My life will never be the same. God has transformed me and God has changed me. God is making me into that what he wants me to be. I think we probably have a hundred of those stories that could be told today. A hundred stories of where God has come into a life and transformed that life. Although Paul was a violent aggressor against the church, God redeemed him. He redeemed him, and now he became one of God's greatest spokesmen for the kingdom. Not only a spokesman, but hundreds and thousands, and down through the ages, certainly millions of people have come to Christ because of what Paul has written right here in this book, that they have found God, because of what Paul, what happened to Paul. At first a violent aggressor against the church and then redeemed and made one of the church's greatest spokesmen. Redemption. And then finally, this word, this third image. So we have, we have rescue, we have redemption, and finally we have Reconciliation. The third image is that of reconciliation. This simply means to restore a relationship. Bringing together two alienated persons. Most of us understand reconciliation. The Bible talks about this. When a brother has something against his brother, the Bible says that you should first be reconciled to your brother. Or when a husband and wife has something against each other that they should be reconciled to one another. The problem is that of alienation. It says here in verse 21. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him without reproach. He says that before Christ, you were alienated. There was a distance between you and God. Now I think most would say, although I have no idea what Pastor Tom would say, so I hesitate even saying this, but I'm going to anyway. Sounded brave there all of a sudden, didn't it? <laughs> Most would say that this alienation is not just, on God's, or not just on man's part, but also on God's part. Remember Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, where, where uh, God is speaking. He says, my hand is not too short to reach out to you, or my ear too dull to hear but your sins have made a separation between you and me. 
You see, it's that idea that, that there is an alienation because of the sinfulness of man. And indeed, man has alienated himself from God and gone his own way. It says in Ephesians 2.12, remember that you were at one time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants, pro, uh, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. The Bible goes on to say that we were hostile in mind or an ongoing antagonism, that we were engaged in evil deeds. Separate, hostile, engaged in evil deeds. But as we read on in verse 21, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless. This is what God does. He removes the enmity. He removes the enmity between us. He takes it out of the way in Jesus. And now we are reconciled. Son and father, daughter and father. That we are his children, the people of his household. That that, that hostility has been taken out of the way and now we have freedom to approach him. 2 Corinthians five eighteen and 19, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting them, entrusting them, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. A few things I see from this verse that I want to leave with you before I share one final story. Notice this from 2 Corinthians 5.18 and 19. Recognize, first of all, the need for reconciliation. That there is enmity between us and God without Christ. That we are alienated, that our sins separate us. So there's a need for reconciliation. Secondly, notice that it is God who is the reconciler. That is not us that goes to God, but it is God that comes to us. That he becomes the reconciler, that he's the one that pursues us and begins to redeem that relationship and reconcile us together with him. Thirdly, that this is a divine act of reconciliation that shows us the need for person-to-person -person reconciliation. And then finally, God's reconciling work in, large, in a large measure is the ministry of the church that he has given us this ministry of reconciliation one with another. I think probably the best example of reconciliation in the scriptures is the prodigal son. Is the son being away from the father saying, give me my inheritance. And then just a few days later, going away. And then my Bible says, spending that inheritance on loose living. And then when there was famine in the land, he had to go to work and was working as a pig herder. And as a pig herder, just, just longed to eat the food that the pigs were eating. And it says when he came to his senses, he said, I'm going to go back to my father for even the hired hands eat better than this. 
And so he makes his way back to the father. And I just have to imagine, I just have to imagine that no matter where the father was, that he was always looking over his shoulder to see if his son was going to come back. I even if he's out in the field, hoeing in the field, or whether he was sitting on the front porch in his rocking chair, I always get the feeling that he was looking down that long driveway to see his son cresting the top of the hill. First his head, then his shoulders, and then being able to tell, yes, that's my son coming back. It says that when the father saw the son, that he ran and he embraced him. He embraced him and welcomed him back. Son, no, we're not going to have any of this. You're not going to be a servant. You're going to be in my household. And he called for the calf to be slaughtered and put a robe and a ring on his finger. That is the reconciliation that God brings us to. It is that place of reconciliation that he wants from each, for each one of us. Here's the final story, and then we'll be done. Many years ago in another church I was pastoring, we had a young man come into the service. And uh, he came to our very first service. This was a church plant. He came to our very first service, and he brought someone with him. His name was John Ingle. Some of you know him. You might know John and Lori Ingle are missionaries to a Muslim country in the Middle East. And John and Lori, uh, John came first, and the thing I loved about John is that he always brought someone new with him every Sunday. Always a different person. And he'd bring them with him every Sunday, and, and I could tell um, that they weren't believers because of the shocked look on their face and just the way they interacted with people and that, that sort of thing. I could tell that they were not believers. John loved the Lord. He had such a passion for the Lord. And then a few years later, Lori came to the church from a, from a, a campus ministry. I don't know the name of the college, but it was in uh, uh, Carbondale, Illinois. And I know the campus pastor there, this was, this was an intense uh, ministry on this particular campus. They had a prayer meeting every day at 5.30 in the morning. And then another one for backsliders at 7 in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. And they were winning all kinds of people to the Lord. And Lori came from that ministry and she was just intense about the things of the Lord. And our congregation benefited so much from having her there. Well, eventually, John and Lori, they spot each other, and although I don't think it's supposed to happen this way, they went on a missions trip together. Of course, there were other people on the missions trip, but when they came back, they had some interest in one another. And so over the course of time, uh, John and Lori got married and began to have children. One of their first mission trips that they went on was a reconciliation walk. This is where they went through... Um, uh, uh, the Middle East and met with mayors and uh, governors and people of that sort just to ask them for forgiveness for what, what uh, uh, the Westerners had done to their people during the Crusades and things of that sort. So their whole goal was to, to reconcile with, with these people. Later on, John and Lori felt like 
this was going to be a, a vocational call. And so they came to me one day and said, uh, Pastor, we just feel like God is calling us to this area. And uh, we would just like your blessing. Of course, we bless that. Although I thought for sure they weren't going to make it. I thought for sure this is, this is going to be, this is going to be a, tough, a tough field. So they went. And while they were there, they had more children and their children began to grow. You might know some of your chil- their children if you've, if you've come to the missions conventions here at the church. But their oldest child was named Sarah. Sarah fell in love with a young Muslim boy as a teenager and that Muslim boy took her away from the Lord. In fact, when she was here in our church for a, for a convention, um, not this last one, but I think one, one before that or two times before that, uh, she, led, she led worship even though she was not serving the Lord at the time. She later told this story. I was talking to John about this yesterday when I was asking him if I could share this story once again. And he said, you know, those days were the worst days of my life with the thought that the very people God had sent me to reach, now I've lost my daughter to them. The very people that has been our intention to reconcile them with Christ, now I am losing my daughter to them. John said that there were many times that he would have to sit on Sarah to keep her from leaving the house because he felt if she left the house, she would not come back. She had decided in her heart that she was going to be a Muslim bride. And of course, John would not stand for it. And there was just this clashing, this separation, this alienation, this, this, uh, uh, they were enemies. She wanted to go one way and John wanted her to go the other way. And finally, John gave her an ultimatum. He said, if you decide to marry this boy, then that's it for us. Once you marry this boy and you become a Muslim wife, that's it for us. You can close the door on on your family because you won't have a family anymore. That will be your family. So fast forward a couple years. John finds out that Sarah and her boyfriend boyfriend were hatching a plot to kill John so that they could get married. And now John, of course, is devastated. He's devastated. This separation has has grown to, to huge proportions. The war is getting stronger and she's getting farther away. John's getting more and more upset. Finally, they decide, well, we're going to ship Sarah to northern Minnesota to, to live with a group of Christian farmers in the north. And so they ship her off to northern Minnesota and John and Lori, they stay in the Middle East. And on her 18th birthday, it was planned that that she would leave that place, she would go back to the Middle East, and she would marry this boy and, and become a Muslim wife. 
So when her 18th birthday was approaching, John came back to the United States. And he wanted to have one last meeting with, with his daughter before she became a Muslim. He said, Greg, something just came over me all of a sudden. He said, I had such compassion, such a love for my daughter. I didn't want her to go, but there was nothing I could do about it. And so he took her out to lunch and he grabbed a hold of her hand and he said, sweetheart, he said, I haven't been the best dad. He said, I'm sorry that I gave you that ultimatum. I want you to know that I'll love you and accept you no matter what you do. No matter where you go, no matter where you live, I will always love you and I will always accept you. And you're always welcome in our family. And that young girl just broke on the inside. All she was looking for, all she was looking for was unconditional acceptance. All she was looking for was love from the Father. And in that moment, there was a reconciliation that took place. It changed John and it changed Sarah. Now Sarah's following the Lord and serving the Lord. She's in a discipleship uh, training school right now in, Aust uh, in Australia preparing for ministry with Youth with a Mission. It transformed her life. Let's give the Lord a hand. Let's give the Lord a hand. That is the reconciliation that God wants with us. Well, we're out of time. Why don't we stand to our feet? If you'll just close your eyes and shut yourself in with the Lord this morning, I just want to say a few things to you. Then I want to pray over you. Just shut yourself in with the Lord. Close your eyes and just let it be just him and you. Just a couple things. Number one, if you've never experienced this rescuing, this redeeming, this reconciliation, that's, that's yours today. That's for you today. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be rescued, will be saved. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's as simple as this. Help. Help. It's that simple. He will rescue you. He will redeem you. He will reconcile you to himself. He has much for you than you can even imagine. So when we pray in just a moment, I'm going to help lead you in a prayer uh, to, to solidify that commitment in your life. Secondly, you're here this morning, you've just grown a little bit cold about your relationship with the Lord. You've just grown a little, a little weak. And this morning you realize that the Lord has so much for you, that he's done so much for you that you want to reignite that relationship, that you want to start over afresh with him, that you want all that he has for you and you want to be all that you can be for him. I want to pray with you this morning as well. God has something for you this day as well. So let's pray together. 
Lord, we realize that we are lost without you. We realize that we are dead in our sin, that there is this problem that we cannot deal with, that only you can deal with. And so, Lord Jesus, we invite you in afresh. Change us, mold us, save us from our sins, rescue us from the domain of darkness. Set our feet on a strong ground. Make it what you desire, Lord. So, Lord, come even now. Rescue, redeem, reconcile. Lord, we need your forgiveness. We need your forgiveness. We need your salvation. So, Lord, we invite you in today. Come. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And for those this morning that things have just been a little cold, a little weak, this morning you realize that God has done so much and has so much for you. And you just want to renew that this morning. I want to pray for you too. Lord, here we are, oftentimes distracted by the things of the world. Truth be known that the world often captures our attention more than you do. Lord, we ask your forgiveness for that. We ask your forgiveness for making it all about life down here when you have so much for us in you. So Lord, redirect our hearts this morning. Lord, fill us up afresh with your spirit. Lord, speak deeply into our lives. Let us know that you are there with us. Lord, meet us exactly where we're at. Meet us in our hardship. Meet us in our waywardness. Meet us in our sickness. Lord, meet us wherever we're at this day and renew us. Renew us. Renew us, Lord. Reveal yourself to us afresh in this this day, we pray. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, guys, this is how we're going to end this morning. Pastor Brian's going to lead us in a song. Just invite you to worship along during that song. While we're singing, the prayer teams are going to come to the front. If you'd like prayer for any reason this morning, I just invite you to come. Come and receive prayer. If there's physical need, a spiritual need, a financial need, any need like that, you just come. There'll be prayer teams up here to pray with you this morning. If you're here this morning and you've never made a decision to follow Christ, I'd like to pray for you right here at the front. I'll be right in front of the communion table. You come. I'd love to pray with you this morning. So if you're making a decision for the very first time, you come right down here in front. Let's sing after this song. Pastor Brown will dismiss us.